Welcome to Always on Mission, Evangelizing in Challenging Times. I'm Rosemary Maffey. And I'm Tom Lyman. And we're coming to you from the Archdiocese of Boston. We're hoping to bring you some joy and encouragement during this challenging time. And we're doing that by profiling a saint and then also a guest from the Archdiocese of Boston who is living that mission of evangelizing in challenging times. How you doing, Tom? Pretty good, Rosemary. How are you? Good, thanks. Happy Patriots Day. And to you. Did you get up in time to see the the firing on uh, Lexington Green this morning? I did not. How about you? I did not either. Uh, however, I would love to to someday make it out and and see that pre-dawn reenactment of the Battle of Lexington Green. Yeah. That's, of course, the for, the, for our listeners, that's where the famous shot heard around the world was fired. A shot that to this day, no one knows exactly who fired the shot heard around the world. It could have been an accident for all we know. But uh, sadly, several patriots uh, ended up dead uh, on Lexington Green after that. And then this began the whole chain of events that led to the, the patriots, the Minutemen coming out and driving the, the British Redcoats back to Boston along the, the, old, uh, the old Concord Road, Battle Road, as we call it today. So on Patriots Day, we typically also have the Boston Marathon, which I love seeing and being a spectator of. But of course, it's been delayed. But what a wonderful tradition that is here locally. It sure is. However, won't it make us cheer all the louder in September when they do run it? That's for sure. Boston strong. Well, I love that yesterday was Divine Mercy Sunday. It's one of my favorite feast days in the life of the church. And it ends, it's a great bookmark to end the octave of Easter. So I love the graces that flow from that and really celebrating and saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It's so beautiful to do at this time of year and how wonderful the St. Faustina is. Isn't she the message that she, that she heard uh, so many years ago, now over 80 years ago, is just as poignant today as it was then. That's for sure. So Tom, speaking of saints, who's our saint for today? So today we're going to profile actually a blessed, blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati who, uh, as many of you know, is the patron of Catholic young adults and someone who definitely uh, did evangelize in, in what were challenging times. Who's our guest going to be today, Rosemary? Brother Jason Zink, a member of the Brotherhood of Hope Religious Community and the director of the pastoral staff of the Catholic Center of Northeastern University. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Me too. They really lived that mission uh, in an extraordinary way. So why don't we begin with a little prayer before we profile our, our saint of the day? Sounds awesome. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, you rose from the tomb, you rolled away the stone, and shine the light of your resurrection onto the whole world. We ask that that same light shine in all of our hearts and our minds. Grant us the grace to respond to that universal call to holiness, to be with you forever in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so uh, today's today's saint, Blessed Pier Giorgio, is somewhat of a non-traditional saint. He is a Catholic layman, and he lived from 1901 to 1925. He died just at the young age of 24. And even from the, the date of his beatification in 1990, it was clear that he was a different model of saint than we were all used to. The, uh, the picture... Uh, his candidate, well, not canonization, his beatification picture was instead of a portrait, uh, as is traditionally is, of someone being beatified or canonized, was a picture of him uh, hiking up the rocky face of a mountain. Oh, that's so cool. 
Exactly. It was it was literally an action shot that a friend of his took on one of their hikes in the Italian Alps. And so on the back of that that picture, the actual picture, he had written to himself verso l'alto, which in Italian means toward the top or to the heights, uh, depending on how you, you describe it. And this is very much a, uh, an accurate a motto for the way in which he lived his life, really seeking that life of Christian perfection. Uh, and it's, it's an interesting story, his. He grew up in a, in a privileged family. His father was the founder and director of the famous newspaper that's still in existence today, La Stampa. It's like uh, maybe it's almost the equivalent of the New York Times. It's like one of the major national newspapers in Italy. Um, his dad was the founder of that and um, wasn't necessarily, he was raised Catholic, however, not necessarily in a, in a fervent home and faith environment. But he went to, he was sent to a Jesuit school when he was about the age of 13 or so. And it was at that point that just after Pius X had begun permitting the practice of daily communion, as well as encouraging young children to receive their first communion. And so in those days, he had to receive the permission of his parents to receive communion daily. Can you imagine? Wow. And his mother didn't want him to do it because she didn't want him to think of it as too normal or too regular of a thing. Didn't want to become a habit uh, in, in the lesser sense of, of the term, you know. Well, he prevailed. He kept kind of insisting on it, and and she she gave him permission, and he began receiving the Eucharist daily from that age of thirteen, fourteen, right until uh, the week of his death. And it's almost certain that that daily Eucharist had a profound impact on his life. He referred to the time of prayer that he spent with the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament as my daily appointment with the Lord. And, you know, this is a kind of language that you can even hear among Catholics today, my appointment with the Lord, someone who's going to go doing a holy hour of adoration. So some of his spirituality. So, Tom, how do, how do you think that that daily appointment with the Lord impacted his life and what kind of concrete examples? Well, it um, it really uh, helped him become someone who lived the lived the, the virtuous life as well as lived the Beatitudes. And really, aren't those two sides of the same coin of the moral life. And he was definitely someone who um, rejected what he saw as a corrupted morality of his time. He felt that things were, were rapidly uh, becoming undone. And he, he actually turned to some of the, the, the pious models from the Dominican order, looking back to some of the famous Dominicans of the Renaissance period, who who rejected that as well in that time. And, and he saw this, the same need for this return to um, a faithful, traditional Catholic morality in his day. And so he became a man of the Beatitudes as John Paul II referred to him. Uh, the mountains were almost a school for him. Uh, think of it this way. He hiked many mountains that were 12, 13, even almost 14,000 feet with his, his buddies in Italy. And on these hikes, um, they became a metaphor for the ascent to God, you know, also for the, for the difficult, laborious increase in the moral life, the kind of uh, changes and sacrifices you have to make to make commitments um, of, of living the moral life. Uh, but they also became chances for him to live uh, in charity. So he might be hiking with a friend who really was struggling physically with the difficulty of the hike. And he would say, you know, my, my foot's hurting. I think I'm going to take a rest for a few minutes. Not because he needed to, because he knew his friend needed to rest and he wanted to save face for him, you know? So he preserved others' dignity while being charitable to them. 
But, you know, I want to highlight, Rosemary, that he was a man of his time. So I think a key moment in his deepening conversion happened at the end of World War I, 1918. So he's 17 years old, and all these veterans are returning from the front, badly injured, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress that they, they didn't, wouldn't have called it that in those days, shell-shocked, and uh, sometimes in poverty. And, and he saw a clear need uh, to serve these people. He, he joined the St. Vincent de Paul Society and found a real calling for himself in serving the poor. One, one of the uh, interesting things that Pier Giorgio speaks about is the three apostolates. He gave a famous talk, now it's famous, uh, really just to talk to uh, a group of young people in the town of Polone, where his family had a, a vacation house outside Torino. And there in that talk, he said that there are these three distinct apostolates. First one is the apostolate of good example. We Catholics must strive to have our whole life guided by the Christian moral law. Secondly, there is the apostolate of charity. By going among those who suffer and comforting them, among the unfortunate and saying a comforting word to them because the Catholic religion is based on charity, which is nothing other than the most perfect love. Finally, there's the apostolate of persuasion. He says, this is one of the most beautiful and necessary. Young people, he says, approach your colleagues at work who live their lives away from the church and spend their free time, not in healthy pastimes, but in vices. He says, approach them. Persuade these unfortunate people to follow the ways of God, strewn with many thorns, but also many roses. So he says, persuade them. He didn't say force them. He didn't say, you know, uh, bat them over the head with this. He says, persuade them. And starting by a good example, starting by an example of charity. So, Tom, what, what a cool story. And I really love that he lives such a life of balance in, in the Beatitudes and great charity. What do you think we can learn from his story? Well, you know, um, we can really see someone who responded to the call to holiness as a man of his own time. So, you know, he was living in a world of upheaval. I mean, the, the entire world order had been overturned in World War I. People were coming back from war badly damaged. You know, there was, just as there was a physical poverty, there was also a spiritual poverty. But he had a spiritual, he had a physical richness for sure, but he also had a spiritual richness in the Eucharist, in his daily Eucharist. That's something that we can learn from, even especially in these times when we are away from the Eucharist at Mass or in our churches, to draw on all of the times when we did receive the Eucharist and remember that that, that has nourished us all this time and how much we long for that for when we will be able to return to it. You know, but how we, this is not supposed to remain just for us, just in us in our little you know, quiet room, but rather it's supposed to drive us out and to open our eyes to the needs of those around us. And so to see, you know, here in this time of the pandemic, what are the needs that people have? You know, what, what is the poverty that people are living right now? And how can we alleviate it? You know, even to the point, I think, Pure Georgia, we always look at the death of the saints when we decide, you know, were they truly saints? Um, Pure Giorgio, from his deathbed, dying of polio, which he probably caught from one of the poor people he was serving through his St. Vincent de Paul. Dying of polio, partially paralyzed, scribbles a note to his sister to, to ask her to take care of a couple of people that he had had on his list to visit. 
that he did not get to visit. Wow, that's powerful. It sure is. I mean, this is a man of the Beatitudes who is aiming to serve from his deathbed, a young man full of life at age 24. You know, and so this is, you know, another sign is someone's funeral. You can, you can tell a lot about someone sometime by their funeral. His family was shocked when the funeral procession went out of the church that there were hundreds of poor people following his coffin. They didn't know who these people were. These were the people he had ministered to. Likewise, the poor people were shocked to see that his dad was the ambassador to Germany and the owner of the, the biggest, one of the biggest newspapers in Italy. They had no idea that Pier Giorgio came from a wealthy family and had basically everything because he lived that kind of life. That's awesome. So I think, do you have a prayer that you want to share with us? I do. And, and this is the prayer for courage from the uh, apostolate of the Versadia Society. It says this, Heavenly Father, give me the courage to strive for the highest goals, to flee every temptation to be mediocre. Enable me to aspire to greatness as Pier Giorgio did, and to open my heart with joy to your call to holiness. Free me from the fear of failure. I want to be, Lord, firmly and forever united to you. Grant me the graces I ask you through Pier Giorgio's intercession by the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm excited that our next guest, much like Blessed Pier Giorgio, really is living out that call to holiness in our own time. So stay tuned for our conversation with Brother Jason Zink of the Brotherhood of Hope. Welcome back to Always On Mission, Evangelizing in Challenging Times. Tom and I are delighted to be joined by Brother Jason Zink, a member of the Brotherhood of Hope Catholic Community of Brothers, whose primary mission is evangelization on secular college campuses. Brother Jason serves as Director of Pastoral Staff at the Catholic Center at Northeastern University. Welcome, Brother Jason. Thanks, Rosemary. Great to be here. Now, my understanding is that you and Tom have known each other for quite a while. Is that correct? Maybe, Tom, you can correct me, but I feel like we met back um, in young adult ministry back in the 90s, maybe early 2000s. Early 2000s, that's back in Somerville at the Old Brotherhood House. Yeah. That is so cool. Now, Brother Jason, I don't think we've actually met in person, but it's fun to finally meet you virtually. But we did discover when we chatted that we have a fun connection. You actually went to Florida State with my brother. Yeah. Yep. So I've known Jim for decades now, so it's nice to meet more of the Maffies. Yeah. So, so go Seminoles, huh? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Could Absolutely. You, yeah. Could you fill us in and the listeners about life before your glory days at Florida State, and then maybe what led you to discern joining the Brotherhood of Hope? Sure, sure. Uh, great question. I'm a Florida boy. I grew up in Fort Myers, Florida, and I went to Florida State University and got my degree there in mathematics and a minor in physics. Uh, and during my time there, I encountered the Brotherhood of Hope, a religious community of brothers in the Catholic Church. Uh, for myself, I grew up Methodist, and so all my family is United Methodist. I'm kind of the black sheep in the family as the, the Catholic. Uh, I entered the, the Catholic Church during my college years at Florida State, 
And for me, the big draw was if the Eucharist is true, then I want in as a uh, pretty faithful Methodist. I had a personal relationship with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But as I encountered the Catholic faith and I was just trying to save my best friends from uh, what at the time I just thought Catholics were bad people uh, going to hell. Uh, and so I had to save my best friends from going there. And as I learned more about Catholicism, uh, Eucharist was the big draw for me that if that's real, then then I want in. And in God's humor, another show, maybe another time, uh, my dear friend who I was trying to save is now a priest uh, serving faithfully down in the uh, the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, Florida. Yeah, the Lord's just mercy and kindness that he would draw me into our Catholic faith. Uh, what a great gift. And I'm super grateful. But for me, the Eucharist was the big draw. Praise God for that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, so yeah, I met the brothers at Florida State. Uh, they came down there in the fall of 1994. Uh, I was a junior in college at that time. And um, I didn't know who they were. I thought they might be bowlers or dentists, or <laughs> I didn't have any concept of religious orders at all as a Methodist kid. But as I began to do undercover ecumenical espionage to save my best friend from the further clutches of the Catholic Church, I came in greater contact with the brothers, Brother Sam Gunn, Brother Ken Apuzo, brothers who have served here in the Archdiocese over the years. And as I came to know the community and I experienced the Lord leading me into the Catholic faith, for me, then the Brotherhood of Hope just became a very attractive option. I came from a great family life and always saw myself as being married with children. Uh, but I also saw the beauty of the spiritual family life of the Brotherhood and the joy and the laughter and just having a great time and their passion for campus ministry that drew me initially. And so uh, so I've served in campus ministry after joining the brothers at Boston University for three years, 2003 to 06. I served there uh, with Father Paul Helfrich and Brother Joe Donovan and Brother Patrick Riley. Then I was at Florida State back at uh, Jim's and my alma mater. And I was there for 10 years. And uh, seven of those 10 years, I served as the director. And I've been back here in the Archdiocese since 2016, serving at Northeastern and surrounding uh, schools, or what we call the hub schools. The image at Northeastern is that Northeastern is kind of the center, and that the surrounding schools like Wentworth or um, Massachusetts College of Pharmacy or Mass Art would be seen as kind of the spokes coming off of the hub. And so they're known affectionately as the hub schools. As a, so we're the Catholic Center that serves all those schools in the area. So. Brother Jason, tell us a little bit about your ministry at Northeastern and those hub schools. What specifically do you do? Yeah, great question. The campus ministry is a lot of fun. Uh, our brotherhood has been involved with campus ministry, gosh, 30 years, uh, a number of different places. So at Northeastern, we've been serving there since 2005. And um, many of the things that we offer would be things familiar to local parishes in that we have like a respect life committee. And so here's a group of students who would be involved with like pro-life issues here in the archdiocese and, and uh, those kind of things, but also service committee. Uh, we're out there all the time with peanut butter jelly walks, bringing out sandwiches to the, the homeless social committee and trying to be, how can we be hospitable and meet students where they're at? And so thinking through either Super Bowls or um, Halloween parties or Christmas parties and stuff like that. But maybe taking a step step back, the Catholic Center, it's it's trying to think through how can we present the faith of our church in a way that the college student of today could hear it? How can we um, propose something to them that's not forcing them, you know, but letting them make a decision and a choice? And so in some ways the community revolves around two major pillars. Sundays where we come together as a community for Mass and we seek the Lord, uh, you know, in the Eucharist. Uh, but then on Wednesdays, we come together as a community uh, to socialize, 
uh, in the context of uh, catechetical teaching. So the topics vary from anything from prayer life to scriptures to dating, it might be Eucharistic Adoration Night, the different topics. And then each semester, we also have a fall retreat and a spring retreat, plus men's groups and women's groups. And so there's just lots of things going on at the Catholic Center where we're helping the next generation encounter the Lord, come to know and love the Lord through the church, but also do it in a way that's fun and engaging. So it's not a, I don't know, it's not like a CCD class where the student might feel like, oh gosh, I'm here because my parents have, you know, dropped me off and I have to go here. Or, you know, rather, I think they're amazed that they see their classmates, people their age, who are like, whoa, you actually want to be here? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so, so in some ways, it's kind of like a um, being a creative and coming together, working with student leadership, raising up men and women uh, for the next generation, training them how to be leaders, uh, helping them with a prayer life, helping them grow in discernment, helping them grow with love for the scriptures and the sacraments, but also in an environment where you, you have to be patient and merciful. Like what classes on campus are you going to learn about reconciliation and forgiveness and mercy? And so uh, it really is kind of a school of love that's just a lot of fun. So, so yeah, uh, those are just kind of an overview of the things we do at Northeastern. So. Thank you for sharing that. Now, tell me, brother, how has all this ministry that you've just described been impacted by the pandemic now? <laughs> Directly. <laughs> uh, I, I think everyone's getting used to the new normal these days, right? And so um, prior to the pandemic, the Catholic Center in some ways would be like the heart where um, the blood of the body pumps out to the extremities and then comes back again. And it's this um, back and forth experience locally where we have Bible studies out on the different campuses, uh, in the dorms, uh, social events out on campus, uh, but then coming back again for the different teachings and socials and men's and women's groups. But great. So now we have the pandemic. How do, how do you respond? Uh, I'm super grateful for technology today, right? Uh, and for Zoom been a great gift, what we're using even now, been a great way for the community to stay connected. We, we had a, a prophetic sense in prayer at the staff level just days before uh, the university began to shut down and students were heading home. The sense that even though the community is going to be separated, that the Holy Spirit actually wants us to be more united than ever before. So some ways kind of like the, that Christian paradox where through Jesus's death, there's life. Well, here's another one where through our separateness, there's going to be greater unity. And so through Zoom, we've continued our weekly uh, New Life meetings, and we've successfully completed our elections. We've had evenings on uh, Ignatian spirituality and discernment of rules, rules of his discernment. Tomorrow night, we will have about 40 to 50 students on Zoom tomorrow night to go through our senior send-off. So we have about 18 students who are graduating, and I feel bad for them. They don't get a graduation, right? Um, but we're taking an opportunity to honor them and thank them and uh, virtually coming together. And then the other way that we've been staying connected to virtually is we've been streaming our liturgies on Sundays and then this past week's Holy Week, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil, Easter Sunday. We've been live streaming our liturgies through Facebook and uh, through Zoom. And then another technology, I forget what the word is you call it, a technology that we've been using is called Slack. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a, kind of a neat platform that's basically MailChimp, Instagram, Facebook, email, just everything all in one location. And so it's made for greater internal communication with one another. That's been a great gift to us too. And we just switched over to Slack uh, maybe a week before the pandemic really hit. So great gift to the Holy Spirit. That is definitely providential. <laughs> yeah, huge. 
And so uh, we're still doing our men's and women's groups. Uh, we're still doing our weekly uh, new lives. And then the other cool thing with Zoom uh, is you're able to create small groups within it. And so even though we give a presentation, we can then break up the community into small groups and they can still spend time catching up with one another. Yeah. So making it work. So Brother Jason, I'd love to hear about how this challenging time has impacted your own path and growth and holiness. I thought it was interesting. I came across that the anchor of hope is an emblem or symbol for the Brotherhood of Hope, referencing the scriptural passage from Hebrews that Jesus is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So how have you really leaned on Jesus during this time in your own path of holiness? Yeah, our, our community, I, I love that passage. So it is from Hebrews, you know, uh, chapter six, verses 18 to 20. Uh, and it's this idea that Jesus is the sure anchor, right, that we can lean on. Uh, the other motto that I've been thinking of, the Carthusians, another community in the church that have been around for centuries, they have a motto where they say, as the world spins, the cross stands still. And at least for me, I keep coming back to that phrase over and over again during these uh, weeks of pandemic, just thinking that uh, every time you turn on the television, how the merry-go-round of the world just seems to be going faster and faster with uh, anxiety and gloom and doom. And, and some of it, okay, absolutely, we need to be smart and hear this stuff through. Uh, but part of it, too, just seems to be making us more anxious and fearful than perhaps we need to be. And it's, I don't know, for myself, I've been really blessed with the Carthusian motto, just thinking about, okay, if I stay close to the Lord, stay close to his cross, Jesus is still king. He's still Lord. He's still victor. He's still risen from the dead. He's still the sure anchor and hope of our lives. That, yeah, uh, as we take a step away from the television or the radio and seek the Lord more in prayer, I find that even though these days are crazy, the Lord, I think, is also bringing about a lot of beautiful graces and gifts during this time. I'm, my prayer has been that it's that families would find more healing, that there would be greater intentionality in expressing of love, of mercy, of reconciliation. I find a lot of the students who I've been meeting with, my mom said to me, ah, Jason, you must love these days now because uh, you have less to do. The students are home and you don't have to worry about meeting with them. I'm like, mom, <laughs> they have more time and I'm actually busier than I've ever been, which is great. And so, and what's been kind of cool on the student level, in the initial days of the, of the pandemic, I think they were bored, many students, and they may have found themselves playing video games and stuff like that. But then lots of students these last days have been saying to me, yeah, bro, I've actually been praying. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I've actually been seeking the Lord and experiencing greater peace in doing that. And so, I don't know, it's just been deeply edifying. I, I think that they're getting up to a point where like, huh, this Christian Catholic stuff actually just might work. And, and so seeking the Lord, um, and I know our community has been interceding, uh, not only for the archdiocese, but for all the students and for uh, all the families. And um, yeah, these are trying days, not easy days, but, but the Lord, I think, is meeting each of us as we're available and open in an intimacy in our prayer life that is surpasses, I think, what many of us have experienced prior to. So That's so wonderful. What I love about you and the rest of your brothers is that you really seem very mission-oriented. So I would love for you to share with us and the listeners, what does it mean to you to be always on mission? And how would you encourage us to evangelize even in challenging times? Hmm. Um, awesome. Uh, thank you, Rosemary. I think I'll answer your question in a way that might sound a little backwards, but I would highly encourage everyone to actually go deeper in their prayer life with the Lord first. So some ways, my first mission field is me. <laughs> my, you know, the, that my heart might get conquered, 
that my stubborn heart might let Jesus be the Lord of my life. <laughs> and, you know, to really let Jesus be my all in all, you know, there's this idea that, you know, who's sitting on the throne of my life? And so often it's me. And to really have the Lord be sitting on the throne of my life. And so I just... I don't know, my, my gut is that the more that we are open to letting the Lord capture our hearts and letting the Lord take us further, deeper, higher in His love, then I think evangelization, hospitality, the outward thrust of mission, I think will flow just, it'll happen. <laughs> because I can't not be silent. You know, I, I can't, I can't, I, I can't be quiet. Maybe that's the way I need to say it. I can't, I can't, I can't be silent. I can't just keep this to myself, but rather what the Lord has done in my life, I have to share with others. Um, I think, too, um, my hunch is that so many of us are evangelists already. We just don't realize it in the sense that how often do we tell people, oh, yeah, did you uh, have you heard about this restaurant? Oh, yeah. You know, this new restaurant is so good. The steak there is fantastic. And we tell we tell people all the time about new places we visited or the latest movies that have come out or the latest series on Netflix. I just don't think it's that hard of a jump as the Holy Spirit gives us courage to now transition into had that same zeal, if not greater, all done in charity and not, you know, forcing it on people, but that same kind of a zeal, I'm here to propose that a relationship with Jesus is really transformative and life-giving. And, and if we do it for restaurants and movies and stuff like that, why, why, why can't we do that, you know, for, for the Lord? But I don't think it has to be forced, just it's looking for opportunities, praying for opportunities. And so if we weren't in the days of the plague, I would say, as, as you're food shopping, well, I guess we're still food shopping, right? So when you're there, how can you bring love of Christ to the cashier, the person stocking the shelves, to the, the people you pass in the parking lot? You know, um, I, I assume banks are still open as a necessity. So there too, how can I bring a kind word? If someone seems to be down, you know, just to, hey, are you doing okay? Can I pray for you? But I don't think we have to be over the top churchy necessarily, but 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 also not being afraid to share our faith and and. And I think, again, with a prayer life that grows and deepens and a faith that expands, I think it'll just bubble over. The mission will some ways spiritually happen naturally. Well, what great advice that evangelization really starts with our own lived discipleship and relationship with the Lord, and that we don't have to go searching far, that the Lord will place people in our daily lives for whom he wants us to share that good news and the love of God with those people. So thank you for that. Well, this has been so encouraging and really an enjoyable conversation. Brother Jason, could I ask you to close us in a prayer? Absolutely. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you this night that you would indeed be Lord of our hearts, Lord of our lives. We want to give you full permission to enter into our lives in a whole new, fresh, and deeper way than ever before. And we pray, Lord, that your love would ignite our lives and that we would be women and men of faith on fire with love for you and love for the church. And that this love would spill over and the mission of sharing your love with, with others uh, would just be um, natural and easy, supernatural, right? And so, Lord, bless all the listeners this night. Bring hope, Lord, to those who are discouraged bring healing to our families, especially those who are suffering from uh, the virus. For those who have died, have mercy, Lord, and receive them into the fullness of heaven and continue to keep all of our friends and families safe and healthy, but also move our hearts with great Easter joy and zeal to share your love, Lord, with everyone that you place in our path. Fill our hearts with hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe and we look forward to accompanying you next week on Always on Mission, evangelizing in challenging times. God bless.